Welcome to Oil and Whiskey, an Ironclad Original. I am Josh Henning. I'm Phil Gerber. I'm Jeremy Gerber. Welcome to Oil and Whiskey, an Ironclad Original, presented by Blade HQ. Whether you're into cars, motorcycles, hunting, fishing, grilling, or any number of things, you've got the tools that you swear by. Have you ever noticed that the tool that finds its way into every job is a knife? Do you have one that you swear by? If not, it's time you got one, and Blade HQ is the place to get it. They've got knives to fit any hand, any belt, any job, and any budget. Just go to bladehq.com slash oil and whiskey to shop their selection of knives. You knocked that out of the fucking park. That was well done. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Fuck Boom. Yeah, nicely done. Well, when it's when it's talking about Blade HQ, it's easy. Yeah, like, piece of cake. Yeah. I think we've all spent many, way many too monies. much time. Money's in time. Yeah. IT shut my gateway to Blade HQ blocked. off. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> Phil told IT to shut my gateway uh, today, we're going to be talking with Gail Banks, president of Gail Banks Engineering and an all-around American icon in the automotive performance business. We'll also take some of your questions, plus a new glove box segment, and we might just have a little bit more. But before we get to the interview, we've got a new segment, Roadster Shop Hall of Fame Build Recap, Throwback Friday. That's a mouthful. Yeah. I just added Evening. a few of those to it. Afterward. Tonight. Five after three. hours. Starting now. This is a brand new segment. We're going to be breaking down some of our all-time favorite builds. And this week, what do we got? It's the Rampage Camaro. And it's perfect because it just got featured in the brand new 1.0 whatever something update for Gran Turismo 7. I think this is probably the most exciting thing I've seen. Get an email saying, in case you haven't heard... Uh, the new update of Gran Turismo 7 is coming out tomorrow, and your car will be featured. That's not many people can say that. Nope. Yeah, very few. Pretty fucking cool. So yeah, we won the Gran Turismo Award, I think it was 2015, with the Rampage Camaro out at SEMA. And the big kind of, I don't know, award of the award is that your car was going to be featured in the Gran Turismo video game. Fast forward seven years later. Yeah, fast forward seven years later. What, did, what was the, the the promise was like a year or something, right? Yeah, it's like the following year it would be featured. Yeah, but they wanted to come out with the new PlayStation Five. Got it. Because yeah. that car was worthy of the graphics okay. that the PlayStation. Yeah. Well, say hindsight, yeah. so much happier that they waited this long. Right, um, the graphics are absolutely insane. It's like more real than the actual real car. The sound, the the pops, the engine noise is—it's dead on to the car. Dude, it's, it's from the videos okay. I've watched. I mean, we've got Spot. a lot of video game guys here, gamers, gamers, if you will, um, here in the shop. I haven't played video games in quite some time. Um, I'm you searching for the—I'm searching for the black market uh, PlayStation Five uh, to just get Gran Turismo to see uh, Rampage and. Oh yeah, dude, it. I love your the, son's got to be. He's like, going to be stoked. so stoked. That's his favorite car. That's always been his favorite car. We ripped it when he was, I mean, shit, he was like six years old or something. And we'd take that thing out and just rip on it. I mean, that car was just made to just absolutely punish. Yeah. And it uh, it's funny because you see these comments like coming up, and I forget about it because it's been a while, but like Kyle had mentioned something about how it's like I got my ass handed to me in a drag race by that car. And I'm thinking, myself, I'm like, Kyle plays a lot of video games. So I'm like, dude, what are you, are you like playing the game? Did you have the game already? What, what are you doing? Like, tell me about the drag race. 
And then I realized, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was the Wakanda cruise night we went to. And I, I'm driving the car, and he's driving the Survivor 68 Camaro that we had, the gold one that Dave's got. No now, contest. We pull up next 500 to— 500 horsepower difference. Yeah, we pull up next to each other at a red light on Fairfield, you know, uh, Fairfield and 176. And I in just, Mexico. In, in Hecho in Mexico. And just fucking eat him to death over there and that car is just an absolute animal i mean i was driving it on slicks and just and you can't get out of it either so it's like that's not like a first second gear pull <laughs> it's like a first second third fourth fifth and then you're doing like several hundred miles an hour that car is just it was such that was such an exhilarating car to drive and Thanks. such a fun project to build um it was the coolest blend of just hardcore raw badass fucking race car purpose built and then putting all of our level of detail and design into it building all these just badass machine components and yeah functional having, cool yeah i remember actually there's there's two very vivid memories of that car um first time i saw it was at sema um i was actually i was not employed by the roadster shop at that time but i was actually we were friends and i was helping you unload it out of the rig for SEMA. And it had like a 16th <laughs> that on was each side of the hairy, trailer trying to get it out. Very unload. Yeah. Um, but just yeah, looking. Be careful over. how wide you make cars. That's who yeah, should you be. follow that up <laughs> next no, year with a Colorado. We had to buy a custom yeah. trailer and then <laughs> build an enclosure <laughs> know, to get it on right. the fucking trailer. That's why I'm telling the, uh, the who, listeners who should be like, careful. Uh, don't make else. the same <laughs> mistakes that I make because not, not only do you have the cost of the car, but then when you get to the point of like the Colorado, you get. You know, a I remember, ten thousand dollar trailer when the Colorado, that you have to buy because nothing will hold it. When the Colorado was there and it was on the uh, the gooseneck, and we remember talking to Phil, and Phil's like, "My fucking brother can't build anything fucking wide enough, just <laughs> wider and wider and wider." And it's like I say, I'm like a, I'm like a fucking eagle, like I'm a bird, man. You, you can't clip my wings. What's the eagle say? Let me fly. It says, <laughs> it says, ah. <laughs> 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 uh, but that but, honestly, yeah, that, uh, everybody that was involved with uh, Rampage, that's got to be quite the uh, feather in the cap. Yeah, very cool. Chris Gray played a big role in in the design work on it. Chad, our our my my homeboy, our homeboy Chad Glasshagel, played a big role in you know shaping the flares, and that was uh, a lot of a lot of hands on work. And I think we're gonna have him on here, Are we? aren't we? Yeah, he's he's on our guest list. One of these days, we're gonna. Get him out. Yeah, we can get him on here. But that uh, 3D magic mic and all the yeah rocker arm suspension. Yeah. That was that was definitely the the pinnacle at that at that time. Probably still is. Yeah. Of uh, uh, creativity, engineering, execution, fabrication. Yeah. Uh, everything rolled into one, and it basically was a fuck it type of car. Yeah, it was. And that was back. I was still getting my hands dirty back then. Me and Chad put the wide body kit on it that was like you one call it a wide body kit well the flares sorry i fucking built it so i call it whatever the fuck i want to call it wide spotty no, I mean, when you say wide body shit. kit it's yeah. a, you, you bought yeah. something stuck right. in the car let me, your, let me see your hands now they're supple that's soft <laughs> not like a lot of jurgens they haven't built any flares in yeah. a while have they <laughs> no they have not <laughs> uh so check it out in the brand new 
latest update, whatever that is, in Gran Turismo 7, the Roadster Shop Rampage. It's pretty cool. You can click through all the different manufacturers and come right across Roadster Shop. So that is the first installment of Roadster Shop Hall of Fame build recap. Throwback Thursday on a Friday today. That's going to be a hard one to top. Oh, we started out hard. You go big. Yeah, absolutely. We got the streetcar version of that we could bring up next. Yeah. The sister car. That but, but that's on for another episode. Sorry. It's time for listener questions. In this segment, we take some of your questions, questions that you've sent us on the interwebs, all the social the media channels. The worldwide web. Yep. Put it all, all there on the line. We actually got a couple of questions via actual snail mail. Actually, mailed in. Mailed Are in. Are you serious? No, I'm lying. Uh, they were faxed. Nobody uses from that. From prison. Anymore. We only get those from prison. <laughs> from prison. Uh, collect call. Do you accept the charges from? Uh, all right. In this segment, we take some of your questions. If you have any questions for the crew, be sure to send them our way via Instagram at Roadster Shop. Just hit slide into our DMs. Don't look at me with that awkward <laughs> face while you do that. <laughs> uh, first up. Any plans on making a Land Cruiser chassis for the FJ60 and FZJ80? Dude, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I don't even know what those letters and words are Hold you're on. saying. You look up the FJ60. Yeah. I'll look up the FZJ80. This shows. We, this is this is how real the fucking podcast is. We do the FJ40 FZ. chassis, and we've got the longer one in now yeah, that we're scanning. Well, that's a cool little... I think car. the one we've got is the FJ60. Okay, so the FZJ80 is the newer Land Cruiser. Let me see. That's like that. That sucks. No. The answer is <laughs> no. We don't. Who wants a chassis for that? You just surprise the questions we get on the info at Roadster Shop on what you can build a okay, chassis. Okay, that's, that's a no. That's a no. That's a no. Jeremy doesn't know what he's talking about. If you would like a chassis, the answer is yes. If you want a chassis for it, Get us the vehicle. We'll scan it, design it, custom, bespoke to you. Now, FJ60 yep. is like the first SUV style. What's these the are that, cool. That one I, I like. Get, these. That one I can get down with. It look like that's a yeah. that's a cool little cool little ripper. Not the mail truck version. Right. One looks more like a okay. Cool graphics. Yeah, they have yeah, badass graphics. I feel like that the era that that must be like what almost late eighties into the nineties. That's a ninety seven. Yeah, it's the, the uh, answer is always yes. It's yes, but yes, but, yes and no. Yes, but you're <laughs> not excited. Yes, that. Yeah. Oh. yeah, that other one's cool. So the one guy that sent him about the Land Cruiser chassis, you have just been. I apologize. No, if you got an FJ60, we're all in. Yeah, yeah. FZJ80, not yeah. so much. Maybe not so much. Money's green. I think the cars, uh, the truck could be cool. I feel like I grew up with those in like the high school parking lot. That's not yeah. something you put. So did the OBS. That's true. I drove one. Yeah. But that's yeah. badass. Yeah, the OBS is cool. I listen to the podcast while I'm production TIG welding at work or anything else I'm doing at work. Really great stuff. Keep it up. My mind wandered off the other day and I asked myself, why aren't there any white roadsters? I know there are a few out there, but it's just black, 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 red, black, flat black. I'm open to excuses or reasons. Uh, yeah, the There's white. There's been a handful. Jesse Greening built uh, that one. Yeah. I don't know if it is a tea bucket considered a roadster. And Kendig, yeah. Kendig did one as well. Yeah, Kendig did, did Back one. Back in the day, nobody did them, though. Like, 
Uh, white's too it, everybody modern, sh- safe of yeah, a car. Everybody moved away from it. Like hey. the first white car we did was probably the Nova. I think yeah. because well, it was the white was like edgy. You know, you painted roads back then when it was like the street rod era. You're either painting it tangelo orange well, or red, black, yellow, or uh, yeah. uh, an actual roadster, a hot rod roadster is supposed to be hardcore, it's supposed to be yeah. masculine, it's supposed to be muscular, it's supposed to be badass. Johnny Clash only wore black. This is true. Why did he wear black? Who did he wear it for? He wore it. What do you mean? What do you wear it for? This is oh, the man song? The song. Yeah. yeah. Thousands who have died. Yeah. yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But he didn't fucking wear white. No. Yeah. It's not Colonel Sanders. So there's your answer. Yeah. yeah. Johnny Cash. All right. Johnny Cash. That's, there's your answer. There's been a few that have done it, but in, Jesse Greening. in general, white has been more clean, more sophisticated, more modern, high more tech. Modern, yeah, white high has tech. its place. Yeah, white, white's absolutely. badass. I don't know. We just, just sprayed a. OBS. In the booth right now, they're actually spraying white as we speak. Sure. Now, why? I don't even know if I'm going to read this. Why yeah, let's 100% skip that. that one. Why are there no spec Miata diecast cars anywhere in the new studio? Well, we've been busy. Just because just <laughs> because we've been busy. Just because you can't see them on camera doesn't mean there's not any in the studio. So that's an exterior wall. <laughs> and what we're thinking is, like, if you look at the the width, a real Miata, I feel like if we could just lay that thing down at yeah. some point with a forklift, Miata up, wall down. I think next time Phil's we're gonna out. bypass the whole. Next die time cast Phil's thing. on vacation, summer vacation this year, we hinge that. You guys shot me down on my air conditioning uh, cover of putting a Miata front bumper and lift the hood up to get the AC to blow. Yeah, through but it. you're not gonna really gonna see it. It's kind of off camera. I it would see it. I'm seen. looking right at it. I promise you, if you don't think there's been discussions daily daily about how we're going to integrate Real a Miata. Quick, we skipped over this. I feel like we touched on it a little bit. Somebody is into the Fieros. Dude, I'll own that. The fucking Fieros, badass. The fucking supercar. Explain. <laughs> it's a mid-engine American. It's the, the first American supercar. It, nope. Yeah. Says no one. Yeah, let's call find, up Eddie Alterman hey, right now. Find one person what, who's like fuck a Fiero. Everybody you talk to has like some sort like a Fiero is like the a guilt, only chance he's dude, getting a Diablo, no, a Countach, and a Testarossa. Yeah, it's a guilty starting it, with a Fiero. It's a guilty pleasure. You don't deserve a Countach or Fiero. No, that's why he's a Fiero. It's a kit car version. You start with a Fiero. Yeah, you, you can turn, turn it in whatever anything. the hell you want. It's like a choose your own adventure. Uh, no shame in my game. How do you scale a business from just a couple of people to where you are now? That's a good question. That is a good question. Don't worry about the employees. Worry about the product. The employees will come. Yes and no. I mean, you got to like have the thing. You have to have the thing to build. You also have to have the people to build it, to, to scale it and grow. Um, I think the biggest thing is get your processes down, figure out how you want to do everything, then bring people in and start shedding some of that off. That's a great answer, but when you had seven employees, were you worried about the process? No, you're yeah, about think, building what yeah. you want to do, but then you need to be able to grow by taking yeah. that and spreading it out and having more people do it. Yeah, You're not going to 
grow doing everything 100% yourself and trying to have extreme control over it and do it only the way you want to. You need to departmentalize that, figure out how you can make some of it easier, faster, more repeatable. Right. Spit that off while you try to keep focusing on growing the business and going in a bigger, different direction while you have some of the, I don't want to say more mundane tasks, but the easier tasks handled for you. I guess yeah. my my reason of saying that was don't worry about the number of employees and don't worry about the growth. That that will come as the thing. Worry yeah, about think, the thing that you're doing I th- and then continue yeah, to grow that. Structure and processes, I think, are really, really good. I mean, you look at us today and, you know, when we started, we were three or four employees and we had virtually the same, like, quote, template and organization, which is something Phil created. And here we are with 80-ish employees and utilizing the exact same quoting template. So you've got to have some pretty good structure and organization, and then you need really good people to be able to to scale that. And that's, yeah, that's, you can't just... You can't just pile on and just start bringing in bodies. You know, that was uh, that was something that I think that, you know, we uh, we didn't see eye to eye with, with our father. <laughs> you know, that was something he always said. He's like, just get no, bodies just, just in get, here. Just get by. We just need people. Well, you can't just have people. You have to have the very right good, talented people. And I, I think it's just you got to you gotta scale slow, like very slowly. You hear a lot of places explode overnight and then they just get lost and get killed because they can't keep up with it. I think you have to grow organically. You got to, you know, have the processes in place. You got to have the right people in place to then take care of those processes. You have to have the right people in place to then improve those processes where they can focus on certain things um, and keep growing every area of the business together rather than just swing for the fences and right. hope yeah. something follows. That's that's three completely very different and very cloudy answers to all of it. But I think, that was I think mine was pretty straightforward. It was. Well, only reason I said what I said is I, I had a lot to had, drink. No, I had a, I had a, <laughs> we were actually just, I was just talking with, with Mark Giambavlo from uh, yep. creative at Nashville. And we were talking about the same thing and just in the years that he's kind of put in uh, the years we've put in, we're talking about, you know, doing the shows, doing the stuff. And it's very easy for people to look at the appearance first, like, we need to get the big rig and we need to have yep. multiple employees and we need to do this. The, my point to that was that will come as, as the business grows and you'll need those employees, right? You have to have the right employees to do the right jobs. We, we, we would not be where we are right now without the employees that we have. Um, but it's not, we don't ever look at it as like, well, we need to get to this many employees. Or we need to get to this size. Or we need to get to this. That's the, a byproduct of, doing the next thing or the next thing in volume or the processes that right. will take to you, do you, that. You have to have just the right, the right people in the right places, you know, and it's, there's no job that like is not as important as the next. I mean, Brian driving the truck and handling the, the show, you know, that, that the show schedule, that's, that's yeah. just as important as what I do on a day-to-day basis right. or what the engineers are doing on a day basis. If we can't get the rig to a show and get the, the booth display set up properly and managed, I mean, it's you. I can't do it. You can't do it. Phil can't do it. There's just so much going well, every on. Every single Perfect example, the scaling that used to be 
me and dad would drive. Yeah. We would leave here Wednesday at eight o'clock at night, drive straight through, get to the show at nine o'clock in the morning, set up, do the show all weekend, tear down Sunday night, drive straight through the night, get back through on Monday. You just can't do that anymore, but you had to have that experience to know what we right. want to do at each show, where we want to be, how we want to display, hire the right person to be able to do that for us, shed that onto someone who is capable of taking care of it and representing us the way we want to, and then let them run with it. And you got to do that, I think, for every aspect of the business. The fact that we're sitting here right now doing this podcast, we we each, all three of us each have our group of guys yes. that is handling the shit that needs to be handled right now. Yes. That's, while, that's, we're, that's while we're sitting right. here. That's a great drinking whiskey. I mean, that's, that's a great point. <laughs> you know, John York is down there basically running shit. Right. More or less. And you, you just, you have to have department leads. You have to have just very good, talented people um, that have the same vision as you that can, you know, alleviate your workload basically and, and, and run departments. I mean, I, I lean heavily on, on, on Johnny does a hell of a job. And basically running the hot rod shop at this point. So you've got to have the right people in the right places and the right structure to the business. You just cannot put the hammer down and and hire, hire, hire and just roll. It just doesn't work. It's just never gonna work like that. But to your comment, you don't need to scale if you don't have a good product. Yep, exactly. So. <laughs> you have a shitty product and you don't have to worry about it at all. There's all of your answers. It yeah. circled back eventually. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was. Hey, That's a, that was a, nobody's listening to this for the question. bullshit. Yeah, simple yeah. question, but it's a very complex question. Yeah. At the same time. All encompassing answer. Yeah. Last but not least, what kind of timeline does it take to complete something like the new Survivor Series 67 Camaro? Well, I don't know which. I guess the new 67 due date that they're talking about. <laughs> which salesman <laughs> did you get? Yeah. No, generally speaking, you're probably six to eight months on a simple, I don't want to say simple, but our standard survivor build. Once it gets started. Yes. After all the scheduling and shit's been Getting built on the, the backside. Here, right. Yep. So when they get more involved and get into more of the one-off custom stuff and some unique fabrication and more body mods and machining stuff on the motors, probably in the eight month to a year range. Anything Survivor Series can range from entry level at six or seven months all the way up to 12 to 14 months. If you get real crazy and want to do something nobody's ever seen before. Yeah. Yeah. I think our most, the, the most recent when we did that 69, uh, the blue Camaro, that was, a, that was a pretty cool project that it came in here. A little unusual in that it was already like a fuel injected, pretty fresh, small block Chevy super nice paint and body, very clean car. And, you know, other than just waiting its turn in line, I mean, that was probably... That's probably three months. That's three, to finish, three months. About five months. Yeah, about five months. We don't need to, we don't need to tell. <laughs> well, there's... They all there, don't go that fast. There is a that lead one. time to get it in here, but once it's ready to rock and roll, that was... Uh, that's, a, that's a great kind of... Uh, I think that's a really good future for the Survivor Car build because there's only so many original paint grandma... Camaros, Chevelles, so that's on a, and so forth. That's a sexy car. It's yeah. a beautiful car. Find you know if you can find yourself a nice fifty thousand dollar super slick restored clean car, you know do your due diligence. Floor pans are clean. The car is wired well, and those are great candidates. You can yeah. turn them and burn them very quickly and have a 
phenomenal that's, car to drive. That's that's less Survivor Series build and more that's what chassis, chassis install yeah. plus. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. We reused all the wiring in the car. We disconnected everything, put it back in. We reused his motor, trans, cooling system, so that wasn't a full Survivor build. Right. right. So it took a lot of the time away because yep. a lot of stuff was already there and but there's, properly done. There's very few that are candidates for that. Yeah. They're not. There they're are, not all. You've, you've got all. to scrutinize that car that you're purchasing to get something that's to that level that you right. can do that with. Right. Gail Banks is an industry-leading engineer and entrepreneur. His innovative contributions to enhancing the performance of internal combustion engines began in 1958 and has been sought the world over ever since by automo- automobile manufacturers, drag racers, hot rodders, and the U.S. military. You can learn more about Gail Banks' company and their many performance products at official.bankspower.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Banks Power. Also check out Gail's new podcast, Speed, cool, Speed School Podcast with Gail Banks. Gail Banks, welcome to Oil & Whiskey. So uh, tell me about the whiskey. We are drinking. <laughs> Start off with the most important yeah, part. Yeah, that Absolutely. is the most important. This is Middle West Spirits Straight Weeded Whiskey. This is a first time try today from Michelon Reserve. Something new. So you taste something new every pod? We, yep. we yes. try to. It's becoming yeah. a, a bit of an expensive hobby now that the three of us <laughs> taste a new bottle because we oftentimes should, finish that no. bottle, you know, on the podcast. So they should, they should be giving you whiskey just to taste it. I mean, they should, I think we're going to get there yeah. eventually. That's and what we're, we're working on. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once we get up to about, I think we go double digit listeners. Once we get to like 11 listeners, then I think we can start. <laughs> yeah, coming in. yeah, we can start getting. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I see him back there on the shelf. Those, those must be uh, some of the other whiskeys you've tried, huh? Yeah, we've got a little stuff. You've done a bottle. hell of a lot of podcasting, it seems. We, yeah, <laughs> we've got that few, many bottles of whiskey. Well, we just threw out a couple boxes of empties, so that, that speaks more to how many podcasts we've done. <laughs> those this are, is that's what's the, coming up next. Yeah. This is the on-deck Yeah, circle. yeah. Uh, well, with that intro and as many years as you've been doing it, I feel like I should refer to you as Mr. Banks instead of Gail. I mean, I feel a little <laughs> bad saying Gail Banks. Uh, yeah, my, my dad was Mr. Banks. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the childhood, how it, how it became. Uh, it says here you sold your first motor at age 16. Yeah. Uh, my dad asked me to put a head gasket on my, my mom's 31 Ford in 1954. And uh, uh, it took me over a year because I took that 40 horsepower engine to 105 horsepower with all kinds of, of pre-World War II speed equipment. Wow. I mean, that was a really uh, an adventure for me, pointed me with how you hopped up an engine. Uh, and even to the extent of, you know, those things didn't have insert bearings and they had splash lubrication. I mean, it's crude stuff. So it was a Model A Ford four-cylinder. I went to a Model B to get pressure oiling, Model B block, and I used a Model C crank to get counterweights on the crankshaft. So stuff that that's very routine today uh, was quite rare. And I didn't want to, you know, 
put a V8 in it uh, because everybody else was putting a V8 in their Model A's or their 32 Fords. So I learned, you know, it was one of those adventures, converted it to an F head, what was called a four port Riley head on it. Couple of Winfield downdraft carburetors, a Wyco side drive mag off a farm tractor. Uh, built my first header, um, Auburn clutch, Durant connecting rods. You know, it's all this kind of adaption of, of other stuff. Uh, Isky Cam, he had been in business for, for quite a while at that point. Uh, by the way, Ed Iskandarian just celebrated his 100th birthday. Uh, oh, if if you guys have ever heard of Isky. Yeah. Uh, who, who hasn't? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first guy to sponsor me in a race car in uh, 1960. So I hot-rodded that Model A, and I put a two-speed rear end in it, and I could blow off, you know, Chevy 6s. Uh, so until... Uh, 55 Chevy came out and that changed the entire hot rod uh, ball game, so to speak. I blew the rear end, the two speed. I got a 41 Chevy coupe, a business coupe, and I put a Jimmy 270 engine in it and hot rod the living hell out of that and ignored the Model A. So one day I come home and the Model A is gone. My old man had sold it. I said, well, I'm a Who'd you sell it to? Well, a guy I railroaded with. Oh, okay. So what'd he pay you? He says, well, I bought it for 35 bucks, so I sold it for 35 bucks. <laughs> God knows what that speed equipment would bring today. Yep. Uh, we yep. never talked about the Model A again, my dad and I, I mean, until he passed. We'd never, ever had that uh, as discussion a, as a yeah. sore spot. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask back in the day, like before internet and YouTube, how'd you figure out how to do all that stuff? Just for our listeners now, <laughs> for the guys who can just jump on YouTube and figure it oh, out yeah. now when you had to do it the old fashioned way. Was that Phil asking that? It was. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, I'm from Southern California. I grew up here. I was born here. I used to be proud to say I was born in Hollywood. Now I'm Nah. I, I don't know if I want to associate too much with those cats anymore. But anyhow, you grew up in Southern California, uh, going to high school. You walked to high school, you rode a bicycle, or you had a car. And if you had a car, you got more dates with better looking women than if you huh. rode a bicycle or walked. I'm just saying. So that was the <laughs> We had this. We had this opinion, all of us guys, that the louder the, louder the car, uh, the more attention you got from the women. Now I know it is like, who the hell's that jackass with a loud pipe? <laughs> and nobody talk nobody talks about that when you talk about like the early days of speed equipment. I've never heard Chase that and it tail. was driven by Chase and Tail. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Well, I'm more interested to know from then on, did your <clears throat> mom realize that it wasn't just the head gasket that made it that much faster? Like, was she <laughs> was she surprised of like, oh, just a head gasket? That thing's pretty peppy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she never drove it again. I, I 
worked on it for about a year, but, but you know, you, you have to search out this antique speed equipment. And uh, I had to mow a lot of lawns, weed out a lot of flower beds. I had hundreds of dollars in that thing. <laughs> uh, I want to remember my dad in the best possible light. So I'll stop talking about this. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll move on to the next. So Famously, uh, in your formative years, you you paid your way through Caltech with funds from your speed shop. Um, oh, I wanted to go to Caltech. Okay. Uh, I went to Cal Poly. Okay. They're, they're both in the same area. One's in Pasadena. One's in Pomona. So I went to the Pomona one. Uh, Cal Poly was a hands-on engineering school. Caltech was more ethereal. The, the one thing that was good going to Cal Poly was they had an electrical engineering curriculum and they had a mechanical engineering curriculum. So I double majored. The electrical part is really good today because maybe 25, 30 years ago, the microprocessor started controlling engines and powertrains and all that jive. Well, I'm real comfortable with that stuff. so. We started building tuners and all that kind of drive. Our, our, my early business was very much a marine engine business, boat motors. Um, started, started with a blown nail head Buick that I did in 1960 for uh, a boat that was up on Lake Arrowhead here above San Bernardino. Uh, Five, 6,000 feet elevation. Guys take their boats up there and they fall on their face. No air density up there. So I was going to Bonneville. I had a 53 Studebaker. I was running up to Bonneville and El Mirage Dry Lake. And uh, I've always liked more than a quarter mile. I like a quarter mile. Don't get me wrong. Eighth mile, it's like, don't blink. you miss it. Uh, but I'm a I'm a endurance engine guy. I figure that that's more of a ch- challenge. Uh, run it at full song for 500 miles. Man, that's hard to do. We ran a race at Parker, Arizona, called the Parker Nine Hour. I was nine hours in the Colorado River, 13 mile course, six and a half up, six and a half back with a one pin turn, you know, like a hairpin turn, wide open throttle for nine hours. That's wow. wild. Are these like V drive boats, like a like little drag boat type? They were dominantly V drive boats uh, in the 60s. Uh, it got to jet drive. Um, we, we ran a tunnel boat. You might be familiar with that, but... Yeah. We went up there with a the Mandela, uh, first time, uh, ran seven and a half hours and broke the crankshaft. So the second year we went, we were first inboard in our Mandela. Uh, and then we went again and, and we were first inboard. These are big block Chevy boat motors. And um, I started racing with uh, Sir John Hamilton out of Christchurch, New Zealand. He invented the jet drive. And uh, the Kiwis invented river racing. And 
don't know if any of you guys oh, that, that river ever... racing is absolutely wild to watch. I haven't yeah. seen it like any sort of vintage river racing, but to see it today, those guys well, are the, nuts. Well, this was vintage river racing. It's kind of in the 70s. Uh, 1975 was the first year uh, John Hamilton and I joined forces and Kiwis came here, lived with my wife and I, babysat our kids. Uh, it was family all the way. I loved racing with the Kiwis. We won f uh, from 1975 to 1980. We won f five world championships with racing with the Kiwis. Wow, that's My, yeah. I bet uh, that mid 70s, late 70s is that offshore stuff gets keeps getting crazier and crazier. And there's some interesting customers, I'm sure. With the <laughs> oh yeah, the offshore racing. Uh, we were all, also uh, in the 70s uh, doing offshore racing with the cat boats, not the V-bottom guys. Check that. I, I had one V-bottom customer out, out of upstate New York. Uh, and we were, he, he brought his boat out here, uh, and we won the Power Boat Mag Magazine performance trials two years in a row with that boat. That's a P-bottom. But if you really wanted to go fast, you ran catamarans, big a of, ones. A lot of cash customers uh, for those motors back then, right? Well, I think the 70s were, back in the 70s, they were still running on gasoline. It was the 80s that started <laughs> running, up, running on cocaine. You know? <laughs> well, you know, uh, we would run on 100, 130 half gas. We won real, real well in the uh, mid-70s uh, with our 930-horse endurance engines. They were twin-turbo uh, Charge air cooled, um, and two hundred mile races, and we we got to run five hundred inches just like the naturally aspirated guys. Uh, second year, we got to run four hundred inches. <laughs> you know, trying to level the playing field. Third year, it was three hundred fifty eight inches. It's hard to build a big block Chevy that small. So a lot of this boat racing, the third year, we, we, we won the national championship at Key West and uh, set the kilo record, flying kilo record, with the same engines that had been the boat the entire year. Uh, very reliable. The turbocharged marine engine caused the American Power Boat Association to ban turbocharging in offshore. Hmm. They allowed it back in. The world figured out how to do it. Mercury Marine, more precisely, figured out how to do it. Um, how much of those and, new, those big Mercury, their QC4s, how much of that is inspired by original banks and creations that, that you put to the test back, way back when? There was one other company uh, in the Midwest that did, did the Merck four-cylinder and six-cylinder kind of work boat engines. Uh, there was no one else uh, in the United States do, doing what we did. Um, we sold the engines all over the world. Uh, Renato Molinari in Italy, Italy set the Italian national speed record on Lake Como uh, with one of our engines in he built tunnel boats as well, Renato. Well, it's it's quite the testament for to to your quality of 
consumer products. Um, if you it can got us into you, military, actually. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So yeah. if if it, you can make it live in the marine application, then obviously around the you know around town stuff is going to work yeah. fine. But the mil- yeah. military thing is where I was going to kind of transition to next. I mean, you started working with the Naval Special Warfare stuff, which I guess Dev grew now and uh, SEAL Team Six, and that's some one top secret stuff that you're dealing with. And number two, that's got to <laughs> that's got to be a completely different measure to be met on the on the performance and durability side of things. Well, certainly different than the hot rod industry. Yeah. <laughs> Working with those guys uh, preceded uh, SEAL Team 6. They, they were called the UDT Frogmen uh, out of Little Creek, Virginia. And um, what they wanted was uh, over 500 horsepower on 84 octane. Um, and I, I'm going, what is 84 octane? How do you make gas that bad? Well, we don't, was the answer. But Other places we won't do. Run these boats, we won't run these boats somewhere else. And they had looked at the world. What's the worst gas in the world? Make call banks. And so... They had to import this gasoline for us to dine on the freaking things. Uh, 535 horsepower, we ended up. They were, they were V-drive. The Department of Defense decided no more gasoline on board ship. So they wanted diesel. Had you been playing in the diesel world before, or was the, uh, the military your introduction into the diesel market? Well, uh, no. No. Uh, I've been buying big block Chevys out of Tonawanda engine plant and small blocks out of Flint. Uh, they had this operation down in Romulus, Michigan, where they're d- designing a, a new diesel. They, ha- they had done uh, in the 70s what was called the old 350 diesel. You guys might not be, be old now. Remember Josh how probably. bad that is. Josh, do you remember that at all? Uh, vaguely, it, was a, vaguely. it was the worst diesel engine. Uh, it ruined the diesel market for <laughs> five, six years in the United States. They've. It, I did a national championship engine program for Oldsmobile and jet boats, and we won the national championship in 1970. It's a single quad stock-looking 455 Olds. Uh, we also won the Parker 9-Hour with the same program. So when, when they decided to do the diesel, uh, I was invited back to talk about how we made the engine live in the boats. They rationalized that we had run 12 and a half to one compression and turned the engine 5,200 RPM for nine hours made uh, 544, something like that, um, out of that thing. They went, well, we don't want to make that kind of horsepower. We're not going to turn the engine that fast. It should live. I said, you know, diesels have a higher compression ratio and probably uh, higher firing peak pressure than our race engine did. And I had 
head gasket issue, so I had to O-ring the thing. So I said, if you're going to do a diesel, put six bolts around the each, each combustion chamber instead of four. Uh, shorten that bolt span. What else did they want to do? Oh, they wanted to run the flat tap at camshaft. Well, they didn't listen to what I was saying. <laughs> they ran their normal tap at diameter and they flattened cams like mad. Basically, I told them, if you do what you're intending to do, the heads are going to hit the hood and the crank is going to hit the street. <laughs> but they freaking knew better. So in 1978, they came out with a 6.2 liter. And it was uh, kind of a GMC and Detroit diesel joint venture. Uh, and if you, if you look at it, there's some Pontiac V8 styling in that engine. Well, GMC's in Pontiac, Michigan, Pontiac like neighbors. Uh, so the engine was a great uh, improvement. It was reliable. They wanted me to, to do a twin turbo marine version of it and uh, see if we can compete with the 3208 Cat P8, which is big ass, heavy duty diesel. Well, the 6.2 would not take the joke. Uh, it was not reliable. But I got to see and got to get deeply into a diesel engine. Uh, and then Pontiac uh, in 79 uh, sent us a sun, Sunbird. They, they wanted us to do a, a dealer specified option or dealer installed option turbo system for a Pontiac Sunbird four cylinder front drive. An interesting choice. <laughs> Both are a crime against nature, four cylinders <laughs> and front drive. And and but I was real interested in it. And uh, but the, we got blocked by the California Air Resources Board at the at that time. Um, I just did a, a podcast of my own with Peter Tridey, who runs a SEMA garage, and he's an expert on emissions. He worked here for 20 years, and then we, what, what, SEMA snatched him. He was my emissions guy, um, and we were you know, we were talking about this '79 deal with Pontiac. Uh, Carb stopped the whole deal. I. I EPA uh, wasn't a problem. We could do the deal, but California was a problem. And there was no EO program, no, no way to certify what we were doing. And uh, I started meeting with CARB about six or seven months into it. Pontiac got tired of waiting, took the Sunbird back and the dyno engines. Uh, they just left with me. But they came back later, and they came back with the we'd run a Corvette at Bonneville. We started a series of world's fastest passenger car. Uh, first one was a '53 Studebaker uh, with one of my road race engines in it, which was an IMSA road race engine. 
this would be late 70s, we went 217 uh, on a, like a 180 something record. Then we went to the sports cars in 1980. Uh, one of my endurance marine engines got automotive in a uh, 68 Corvette. We went 240. This is goddamn fast at that time. You go back to 1980, that's what, 42 years ago. Uh, we're going 240 in a 68 Corvette, which ain't aerodynamic whatsoever. They just look swoopy. And I get a phone call from Pontiac. A guy I had known as a, uh, Bob Dorn, who was the chief engineer at Cadillac. And I had bought my wife a uh, mid-sized Cadillac and I wanted to turbocharge it and it had front drive V8 setup, weird. And um, so I went back and visited with Bob Dorney at Cadillac, and he told me, don't turbocharge that engine. Uh, I got another one coming, which was a Cadillac North Star. Uh, and he warned me off the then current engine. But we got to be friends. And then, and then uh, I actually consulted him somewhat on the North Star. Uh, and uh, then he went to Pontiac, his chief engineer at Pontiac. Uh, and there was a guy named John Chanel at Pontiac who was the chief stylist. He did the 82 Firebird. And there was a Chevy version of it too, Camaro. So it's in like late 1980, or, or no, actually early 81, popular hot rodding had put, put out a double truck picture of the Corvette on the sole, 240 Sporty. These guys were reading that magazine and called me. And I went, you guys in Detroit actually read our hot rod magazines? You gotta wow. be shitting That's me. Cool. They said, yeah, if you, we got this new Firebird coming. It's been in the wind tunnel. It's the slipperiest production car. Uh, produced in the United States up till now. I said, why are you calling me? We want to prove the arrow. We want you, you to take that powertrain out of that Corvette and put it in one, one of our Firebirds. And we guarantee you a minimum 20, 20 miles an hour. So I said, 260, huh? I've been dreaming of 250. Uh, okay, where do I get one? And well, it was like 1981. There were none until late 81. So they said, go to the Proving Grounds, Mesa, Arizona, with an enclosed trailer. We want people to see it. And your Firebird is waiting for you. So we went and got it. And we ended up uh, running uh, 277 one-way mile, 283 back door on 280 mile an hour tires, wow. Mickey Thompson fronts. Uh, we'd have gone faster, but I didn't want to kill Don Stringfellow who was driving the damn thing. So we went, that was the second year. Here's the cosmic part of this. First year, we go up there and uh, guess what we ran, 260. 
dead bang <laughs> at 20 miles an hour. That's a two-way average, 260, 267 one way. I went, you guys, you nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. They promised you uh, 20. Yeah. yeah. My only question is why not the Fiero? Because I'm here in Cadillac, North Star, Pontiac. All I'm thinking is Fiero, like North Star swap Fiero. I got to yeah. tell you about the Fiero. I, I got the insight on the Fiero. That was um, John Chanella's pet. He loved the Fiero. Uh, so V6 Fiero with a turbo. Never saw the light of day. It's quicker than than current Corvettes. Yeah, no wonder it's just and too much car. God, I'm telling Lovely. you, Chanel. Chanel wanted it. He actually built a few of them. I b- believe he was told by corporate, nothing beats a Corvette. Scrap that program. He took one of them home, and I, I believe he still has it. The there you go. Your turbo Fiero. You can start chasing that. <laughs> Why are you a Fiero nut? Huge Fiero. No, they just he likes a mid-engine sports Phil, car. Phil pokes at me. I've always wanted you know something kind of mid-engine and exotic. So they kind of force me around that the Fieros is the only thing I'm getting. <laughs> well, why the hell not? I mean, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of a cool car at the time. They were all over the desert proving grounds when it went out to get the Firebird. Uh, same years talking about the proving grounds. Um, Lloyd Royce was chief engineer at Buick. Uh, a guy named Herb Fischel was the high performance guy at Buick. And uh, they wanted to do a Buick that would be on the cover of Hot Rod Magazine. There'd never been a Buick on the cover. Uh, it was all Fords and Chevys and, you know, Mopars. Uh, so we got a, a, a Regal. Uh, we, we had helped on the turbo char- charging of a Buick for Indy, I think 1977-78 pace car. Was a, it was a Century with a turbo V6 uh, in it. Uh, so we built, uh, the granddaddy of the Buick Grand National. You guys familiar with the Grand Nationals? I I, I like to think we're building at the moment, the granddaddy of the Buick Grand National, but go ahead. We're building a Grand National (laughs) as we speak, as a matter of fact. I'll be damned. Uh, you know, then the peak of that is a GNX. Yep. And but, but that was like 86, 87. So in 80, we built a twin turbo uh, 3.8 liter uh, V6 and c- completed a car, which uh, I took to the desert proving grounds. Uh, it was 454 horsepower. Uh, it, was, it was a quick Buick Regal. Uh, and that thing lived at the proving grounds for almost two years. You know, normally they build a concept car, they crush it. Uh, they build a show car. Uh, 
Mike going in the GM museum, but normally they get crushed. Everybody in the corporation, including the chairman of the board at the time and the president of General Motors, drove that Buick Regal. That's pretty cool. And it started the whole Turbo Regal program. Um, a guy named, who I called Tall Jack from Garrett, uh, you know, Air Research, sold them turbochargers. Uh, I consulted them on the turbo system on the first go-around, which was really kind of hokey. Uh, I, did, I didn't like it at all. It wasn't fuel-injected. It was carbureted. Uh, and it was a draw-through. No. Yeah, draw-through carburetor. Uh, it looked like a Q-Jet, but it only had the front two barrels operative. And the turbo sat on the back end of the V6 and blew into the intake manifold. No charge air cooling, nothing. Uh, so, but it was air fuel mixture with the boiling in. So the front cylinders were rich and the rear cylinders were lean and they stuck back cylinder pistons. Uh, they had all kinds of warranty on those carbureted Buick V6s. And then they, then they went EFI, fuel injected the thing, uh, moved the turbo forward, uh, and it's all just dry air going in. So the air, air fuel ratio was uniform in all the cylinders. And whoa, suddenly you got a hot rod going on there. And um, Walt Ware was running air research at the time. He works here now. Uh, He's, he's one week older than me. Uh, so there's two old dudes here. Uh, I helped Walt with the campaign, uh, the Buick campaign. They were his customer, but Walt was my friend. So we traded favors all our lives, so to speak. Uh, and um, Walt came up with this crazy, wild, high-tech turbocharger. And to, to, to diminish the turbo lag, the turbo response, he did a ceramic turbine wheel in that turbocharger and a lot more compressor. They were a pretty quick response. Have you ever driven a Grand National yeah. or a GNX? Oh, yeah. yeah, we drove this one we had here before we pulled it apart. This is yeah. If you kind of brake, uh, it, brake boost that thing, it'll get it'll yeah. get moving a little bit. What year is it? The one uh, you're 80, Eighty-seven. Okay, you're right there. Yep. Was it was it a GNX or just a, a, just a GN? GN. Yep. Okay. Uh, GNX had body chassis stiffening. There's all kinds of other stuff other than that turbo, uh, and I think they rated it at like 276 horsepower, which was a Damn lie. Uh, yeah, I think we got them beat you know, by a thousand, don't we? Yeah, like twelve hundred something. <laughs> yeah. But those those cars would do rolling rolling burnout, so you know it's like you know, that car would get you know, 15, 20, 30 miles an hour, you get the tires. Oh, yeah. you'd, you'd lay some eleven. Part of the program part of the program at uh, at Buick was to build an indie indie version of the engine. Uh, I think it was 209 cubic inches for Indy, 
splay valve heads. Uh, Scott Brayton put one on the pole at, at the, uh, running on methanol, of course. Uh, so that was the pinnacle at the time uh, of the Buick V6 development. Uh, an acquaintance of mine, Kenny Duttweiler, he, he carried the V6, his V6 flag until this day. Uh, so I went on to V8s and didn't want to do another V6 for the rest of my freaking life. Uh, and the, this guy named John Rock took over GMC mid eighties and um, met him at the international truck show out here in Anaheim for breakfast mid eighties. I can't remember exactly what year. And he says, Hey, you, you've been turbocharging our six, two liter diesels and we're not having any trouble with warranty. You must be doing it right. I said, well, we try to. Um, well, at that point, Ford had come out with an 83 with a 6.9. Um, the, Do the Dodge Cummins was not out yet, but Ford was kicking their ass. It, uh, I, they did a 7.3 liter version of the engine, no turbo, the Ford. We did turbo kits for those as well. Uh, I left out a thing. In the, in the Pontiac program, GMC gave us two pre-production engineering trucks with 6.2 diesels. And they were pigs. So we turboed them. And by the time the trucks came out, uh, guys, guys had heard about it our turbo version of the truck. It wasn't even out yet. So we uh, went ahead and uh, tooled the damn thing when the trucks came out. And our, we sold our first hundred almost instantly. Uh, it was hard to believe. We ended up doing eight or 9,000 of them in the, in the run of the six two, two uh, trucks. And um, that basically started the uh, performance diesel aftermarket, that product right there. That's a seminal product of the performance diesel aftermarket. That's wild. Uh, and then the, in 83, we did the 694, and we sold the hell out of those. We still sell them. I think we've discontinued the 621, but anyhow, uh, John Rock approaches me because Ford's kicking their ass and the 6.2 engine plant in Moraine, Ohio was a 17% capacity. So he says, hey, this is over breakfast. I have to make a judgment call here, Gail. Uh, either I shut down the engine plant and we no longer have a diesel pickup or I shut down the engine plant and find uh, uh, another engine like Cummins, but Cummins is already working with somebody else. Or we offer a turbo version using your turbo system and create some spin 
and validate the engine's strength. Uh, and we sell, sell them through our 2,500 uh, GMC dealers. I said, well, what's the hook here? He says, well, you, you warranty the turbo system, we'll warranty the truck. And I said, well, how are they going to, the dealer's going to put them on? I said, no, you're going to put them on. <laughs> I said, well, where are you? Yeah, where says, do that? <laughs> some, some place close to the Flint assembly plant. So I, I got with some Detroit guy, guys. We set up a five acre impound yard in Almont, Michigan. They ship the trucks and the Suburbans to us. We turbocharge it, charge them to do the intake and the exhaust system, the instruments, everything. Uh, and a 100-point inspection just to, just to make sure. I learned when they did the Turbo Corvairs in 66, uh, a life lesson of, Buddy of mine, Hugh McInnes, uh, was the chief engineer of TRW turbochargers. TRW supplied the Corvair turbos to, to Chevy. And Hugh, Hugh got a call late one night, two in the morning, actually. Hey, we've got a trouble with these turbo Corvairs down here on the assembly line. Can you come down? He, he gets down there. They were having trouble installing the windshields. <laughs> but it was a turbo. Yeah, turbo's gonna all a turbo guy. <laughs> so we made sure when we did the turbo that program they, that they didn't get GMC, in the way of the windshield. <laughs> yeah, that the turn signals worked. Uh, you know, the power windows, if it had it, they worked. Yep. So you said you you kind of like blew through that really quickly. You just kind of dropped that you set up a five acre impound lot and then all of a sudden there's turbo chargers being installed like that sounds like oh, a pretty oh. monumental task i mean you're, it sounds like you're making light of that what goes into creating a facility and what are what's the volume like on something i mean it's got to be thousands and thousands of trucks right uh probably at the end of the day yeah uh volume was pretty good uh <laughs> It was a real boost for us. Uh, they validated our aftermarket product like nothing, nothing. Uh, to have an OEM choose your product and offer it through all the dealers. We did the marketing. They gave us three new Suburbans. We did our thing and drove them all over to the United States, letting let the dealers drive them. Uh, and PBS Motor Week, John, what was his name? John Davis, I want to say. We, we went, went to Owings Mills, Maryland, and he did, did a show on our program that really helped. That, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I've got to, it's amazing to me, and I hope anybody listening understands that you're saying that that OEM program really was a shot in the arm for the credibility of the aftermarket program. Right. That's, yes. that's great. But I, I can't imagine being in your shoes at that time when you want to tell the public, you're like, screw what General Motors or Ford thinks. Like, you know, realize we're doing it for the SEALs. Right. If we can make the SEALs happy, 
that I promise you, I don't, I don't really care about the, the soccer mom that needs to make it to, to the grocery store. We've got guys fighting for our freedom and our motors in those. That's, that's got to be a difficult position okay. to be in there and not be able to tell the things you want to be able to tell or market. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Dale might right. be a little uh, more humble than you. I don't know. <laughs> you want to see? I'm getting that. You, you want a, You want a C story? I'll give you a C story. Uh, Cummins was having a hard time pre two thousand, and they, they hadn't come out with their common rail injection system, which they did with Bosch. Um, I meet a guy named John Stang. He was a member of the board of. Cummins and he and I were doing a lecture at the same, same place, same day. So we attended each other's lectures uh, and we got familiar with each other. And I said, you know, I would, no, nobody had gone 300 uh, with a diesel at Bonneville. And I told him, I got a streamliner with a 1,200 horsepower in it. It's been 386 miles an hour. I think uh, we could easily go 300 with uh, hot rotted Cummins. I wanted, I wanted to do the diesel record with the Cummins. So are you interested? He said, yeah, uh, anything would help. I said, well, what's up? He said, well, the Dodge Cummins is kind of kind of sales sales have fallen off. Uh, our Cummins stock is down below thirty dollars a share. It had been well over a hundred prior. Then he divulges he he's the guy running the development of that engine program and their V eight, which was very secret at the time. He invited me back to talk to his guys, uh, which I did. I, uh, and 42 out of 102 volunteered to help. They had, Cummins had, had no money, no money to give me, not 10 cents, but they would give me advice. They gave me uh, dyno engines that were worn out development engines. Um, they even hot rodded one with a, larger HX40 turbo uh, and made 400 horsepower and sent sent it out to me to see if our dynos matched, which they did within two horsepower. Um, and, um, but they did, they wanted me to run their V8, but there were only two V8s running at that time. So, I had to disappoint the V8 guys. I went in, in eager for the V8 because that was unobtainium. That was really trick. I, I wanted to do their V8. But you know, in development, they, they were under 300 horsepower. My goal uh, for the liner was like 750. Uh, I thought with the arrow of the car, we could go 300. Uh, and um, so I told him a guy named Dave Koberlein was running the V8 program and I told him and his guys I said you don't know if you've got a girl or a boy 
You could do that back then. You You can tell right now. I can say I'm saying it right. I'm saying it right now because I'm just not woke at all. (laughs) (laughs) You got to see the Ricky Gervais special, by the way. Yeah, Yeah. I've heard it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, baby, he's got himself himself in a little bit of trouble here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anyhow, uh, we chose the the six. I bought a used Dakota. We put it, the engine in the Dakota, uh, quick change rear end, did all the normal race car stuff. Um, and uh, drove the Dakota onto the salt with a race trailer behind it. Uh, the year prior, we had done the, and I, I mean, 10 years prior, we, we had done the uh, world's fastest pickup with GMC using the S15. Uh, we had John Rock asked me to help him with a diesel engine. He also asked me to help him with a sport truck market. They wanted to be in sport trucks, GMC. Uh, so this is the late eighties. Uh, we drew up a half ton short bed, big block, uh, truck with a pair of turbos, uh, did all the renderings of the exterior of the truck, uh, had a wing on the back. It looked pitching and, um, we did the engine bay. Uh, with the injection system, you know, RAM type injection. Anyhow, uh, we go back to a marketing and sales meeting. All the general managers and the marketing sales guys, each division uh, of GM were in this meeting. And uh, I think we were in an old GM building, downtown Detroit. So we... uh, lay out our rendering for this sport truck, this GMC sport truck. And the guys from Chevrolet went, you know what? You guys have 17% of the corporate truck market. We have 83% of the corporate truck market. If anybody does a big block sport truck, it's going to be Chevrolet. Why don't you guys do the S15 Sonoma or something like that? And I went, oh, man, another V6 program. It, it, you know, <laughs> it's go. like, oh, my God. Whoa. Just put a damn Grand National motor. I don't want to do it. this. We, we walked out of there with that, out the big block. You know, I love big block Chevys. Uh, and Chevy came out in 90 with the SS, uh, the 454 SS. Uh, 230 horsepower, 87 mile an hour pig. Oh yeah, uh, but it said 454 yeah. SS on the side. That's a so. half horsepower yeah. per cubic inch. Yeah, right? that's, that's kind of romantic. <laughs> yeah. uh, I ended up owning three of them: a 90, a 91, and a 93, which was a red truck. Uh, so we did the S15. We went to Bonneville. We were uh, originally. Uh, we wanted to go 200 miles an hour with the sport truck, uh, the half ton. 
But now we got this V6 and a, and a Sonoma, and it's like we changed the goal to 175. Uh, I couldn't turbo the truck uh, because um, the guy who was a marketing manager at GMC said, Gail, we don't sell a turbocharged pickup truck. Uh, so I, I said, I thought we could charge air, cool the air, because it's like 100 degrees a lot of times when we run into salt flats. Uh, and sure as hell, it got, got over 100 when we ran the first year with the Sonoma, we ran 194 FIA world record, and we blew off Al Holbert's 928 Porsche record uh, with a pickup truck. We took an international record. His record was like 186 with it. That had to be some good marketing. A pickup truck beats a Porsche. Porsche, but I didn't like it. You know Porsche, what? Porsche. <laughs> you know what? That's a great point. I, to I told the guys, uh, you got to run an ad. We beat Porsche with a pickup truck. And they said, well, here at GM, we don't name competitors in our advertising. I said, since when, <laughs> since when is a Porsche a competitor? With a GMC pickup truck. <laughs> it's two separate animals. So they did it. And they did it in, uh, I think, Motor Trend, if, if I remember right. One goes down the street. It, they showed the stock pickup. One, no, one, one go, goes down in the record books. The other one goes down your street. Uh, we went back a second year because I had tuned that thing at the salt to 199 miles an hour. I had aluminum on the ground straps and I kind of went, this thing will not pee another drop. Uh, I pushed it to the edge and they're going, you know, the GMC guys, well, we gotta go 200. I said, you're done. Next January, they called me, hey, we took the engine down, we pulled the heads. Did you know you burned some of the pistons? I said, ah, <laughs> <laughs> that's why we didn't blow it in front of the press because they had Learjetted, two Learjets full of journal journalists out of Van Nuys Airport. And, you know, I, I became the den leader with the, they have magazine guys. It was fun. So we went back the next year. And by now we had named the program. Guess what the name? What? GMC all-wheel drive turbocharged pickup truck. What's it called? Cyclone. Cyclone. Oh. oh, yeah. yeah. Cyclone so we typhoon. named the project Cyclone. We went, put on better cylinder heads, better interjected spun the engine faster, higher compression ratio, went 204 with a 210 one way. So that was our 200 miles an hour. Bunch of us sat down, started brainstorming a production version of the truck, because there's the sport truck. And uh, <laughs> I looked at Rick and 
I, I said, we're going to have to turbocharge the production one because this, this thing's going to be a pig uh, with a stock engine. So we did. It's all-wheel drive, used a Astro van transfer case uh, out of some strange-ass Astro van deal. I don't know if they want that advertised. <laughs> Dude, the well, probably it's not. done and gone the now. Astro but. van. That's, <laughs> so, that's something that needs to be talked about. The, the, where did those that, This was the comeuppance for Chevrolet. That all-wheel drive V6 turbocharged and intercooled pickup truck blew off the Ford Lightning, blew off the the big block. Yeah, the Lightning SS. wasn't much other than a cool sticker on the side of the not back. Yeah, two hundred and thirty horsepower motorhome engine. You know, I mean, good God, great sticker. Oh, I did, I did one uh, with 1100, a 375-inch twin-turbo, 1115-horsepower uh, small block. Damn. I think that would, I put that in my 1991 and went, went out, just shucked gear teeth off at Doug Nash five-speeds. <laughs> it was Damn. terrible. I sold the engine, engine to him. Guy, guy who builds trikes in Las Vegas. Oh, Josh. Imagine 1115 horsepower in a trike. How much? How many horsepower was your trike? The Gale, they'll they will never let me live it down. I uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did I never owned one. Uh, I we had to do a little repair on a 57 Chevy inspired trike with an LS1, and uh, I had to test drive it. And I will tell you. That and this is a four, like an automatic uh, four-speed, and <laughs> while I did not look cool at all, that had to be the scariest, most fastest accelerating thing I've ever driven in my life. And I mean, oh god, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Yes. It doesn't matter how well it performs or how much horsepower it has. If you're on the edge of death, it's scary. Pretty exciting. Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. On the flip side, he doesn't look cool now either. But <laughs> you're right. I'll bet you look awesome. Yeah. So the, the navy, the navy part. Uh, we ran the Dakota at Bonneville. Uh, after towing the trailer onto the salt, we ran 222 was our best mile. Uh, and um, got a lot of ink. Uh, the Navy guys called. Uh, they, they wanted a Marine version of that engine for those um, SWIC boats. Uh, and we did a marine version of that engine, and they were running them. So, all over the world. That's cool. That's awesome. I, I got to ask you about the you know to steer back to the diesel stuff and the more current stuff because in our industry, I think I speak for a lot of guys. I love diesel motors. I don't know a lot about them, and we get a lot of inquiries for like diesel motors and chassis, diesel motors and car builds, and we've got a cool little Chevy truck program we're doing. I've got a current project that we're looking at uh, swapping like a mid-2011, 2013 Duramax into. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Where do we go for that? What's your recommendation? How do you get something like that started? Because if it's if you want to LS swap something, I mean, you can jump on GM's website and buy any crate motor, any ECU, any trans controller. Yes. But the diesel stuff... You kind of got to know your shit. It's like and a dark art. It, it is. It's intimidating. Where does a guy go 
it, when you want to do something like that? And how do you build just safe, good horsepower? How do you outfit like fuel pumps, turbo systems? There's a lot to know there that. Is this, got, is this a customer truck? Yeah. A customer truck. Yeah. I'll help you out. All right. So you're the yeah. guy. Well, I know you're the I guy. Mean, you guys stuff. help me out. Jesus. <laughs> you help me out something fierce with lockjaw. How's that I thing? Mean, how's that thing coming? We had the wrong blower. We've got the right blower now. Uh, and uh, I want to have boost at idle. Uh, that's the beauty of the blower on the diesel. We've done a lot of blown diesel stuff with and without turbochargers. Uh, so this thing is blower only. And it's going to be the first version. Of, we're, we're doing a turnkey diesel engine series. Uh, and the blown D-Max based uh, engine will, will be our first offering. Uh, I think we're firing it next week. Yeah, I'm looking off camera here. Uh, <laughs> So that's what we need. We need yeah. that. I need that crate motor ready to go with a tune. Well, that, that would be ultra badass. Plug it in. Yeah. Yeah, that would be insanely badass. <laughs> but that that would not be a used engine. That would be a new engine. Well, okay. uh, used, gonna, new. Not, we make the chassis. We make the mounts. You just <laughs> you get me the motor. That's, <laughs> that's, yeah, how come nobody's touched on that yet? Like You guys. You were saying there's uh, a bunch well, of guys building crate motors for the uh, – the LS and Coyote stuff, but nobody's touched the diesels on the crate engine side. That's why we're doing it. Uh, honestly, that's why we're doing it. it Nobody else is. You know, there's one-offs uh, that I theorize there's a demand for this. Oh, there's a huge, so, there's a demand probably bigger than you know. I mean, we And, you know, bu building, building Lockjaw with you guys, uh, that's scratched that itch for a lot of people. Uh, and when we fire it. I can't wait. Oh, it raised I'm, a lot of questions. Let me tell you. That's for sure. The people at Duramax, they have an annual picnic. Uh, with COVID, I think they've skipped a few, but they have a new Duramax engine plant. Uh, we're going to take Lockjaw and drive it onto that picnic. Uh, at the plant, they've asked it, asked us to do it. That'll be cool. Uh, they wanted a, a, a JLTV, which is our military program, um, but the Army and Oshkosh truck. Uh, -uh it's not <laughs> happening. So, so uh, we volunteered Lockjaw, and they're just nuts. They all. Had, all the gearheads that work at Dormimax, you'd think that everybody would be a gearhead, but to some people, uh, that engine plant is just what they work. Uh, to most of them, though, they're real proud of us winning this business with the Army, uh, and they're just jazzed to have. They've all been following the 43 uh videos we've done that series uh the videos are great and 
and they will want to hear it run too. So not to mention all the people on Facebook and every place else. Well, Jesus. It, well, it, have, it helps when you have Jay on there too. I mean, he doesn't shut up. So you got to, you know, you got to watch him, you know? <laughs> How, how dare you? Oh, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> it came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, kind of scary, you know. <laughs> I mean, Gail brings the energy on yeah. those, man. It's they're entertaining. Well, Gail, we could talk for absolute hours, and I will. I will say this right now: we've done a ton of podcasts. I'll I'll go ahead and step out on a limb. Go ahead. Absolutely, the most knowledgeable guest that we've had yet. Oh yeah, and the widest nice. spectrum of everything. Yeah, absolutely, the most Boats. accomplished. Most I think we're going to have to do Very a cool. new segment. We're just going to have to. I think you're li- you're going to be our new lifeline when we have a guest on and it's something we get stumped on. We're just going to have to call Gail. Oh, we'll call Gail. <laughs> Gail will know whether it's a vintage banger camshaft question or a, a modern diesel. He's, absolutely, he's here, here, the phone is always in my pocket. <laughs> awesome. Well, we reached the point where we ask the standard questions, the the, the questions that we ask every single guest. Some of these are going to seem a little weird. Some of these seem a little normal, but we're okay. just going to go rapid fire. So what is the best car movie and why? Oh, my God. Oh, there are so many. Um, I don't have a favorite there. There's one. Uh, uh, well, no. Clint Eastwood. Uh, Dirty Harry. The Mustang. And the Mopar, okay, huh? In San Francisco, yeah, was, yeah. You that, know, was, that was the first. That was the first dirty. Yeah, was, you, yeah, don't, dirty you don't first think car. about that. Yeah, well, Dirty Harry. He's. I you know I watched that about a year ago. I still enjoyed the hell out of it. I like that the the anti woke comment fell by a Clint Eastwood film. That's good stuff. You're <laughs> yeah. my kind of guy, and still lives in California. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, what the hell are you doing in California? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm hiding out. I mean, it's just. <laughs> what is your proudest achievement and why? My children. How many do you have? Four. Four kids. Are they in the yeah. business? One of them is uh, my daughter, Elizabeth. She's our ops manager. And one of my grandchildren, uh, Eric Ryder is his name. Uh, he he is a natural when it comes to fabrication. You guys would appreciate Eric Ryder. Um, we met Eric uh, uh, when he came out for the video. Uh, yeah. Met Eric, and we, oh. we met him at SEMA as well. Yeah, Eric's good. Yeah, I didn't know he was your grandson. Well, <laughs> kind of keep that hush hush, huh? Yeah, I <laughs> I don't want to put it. Uh, strain on him, you know. Uh, <laughs> the big shoes but, to fill. <laughs> and now we come to the final question, the one we've asked every single guest ever since we started doing this podcast. Uh, what is in your pockets right now? You have to do a pocket dump. What is in your actual physical pockets? Uh, the key to my Cadillac Blackhawk. Oh, Phil. How about that? Black. Black, Black wing. wing. Black wing. Black wing. Uh, it's one of the, the originals. They only built 825 of them. Wow. Uh, it's a cool car. Twin turbo, twin intercooled, all-wheel drive, all-wheel steer. 
What is your honest opinion about that car? I know that we're steering away from the pocket dump, but what is, do you, you've driven a lot of shit in the last 60 years. <laughs> what is your, what is your review of the, a quick, you know, two minute review of the Blackwing? It's not the supercharged. There's only, only supposed to ever be one Cadillac Blackwing. Uh, and that's one I have. My, my daughter, Elizabeth, also has one. She's one hell of a road race driver, I might add. Every time I drive it, I smile. That's, it's a badass ride. That's, his that's, best that's review. the review. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's all you need to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. I own a 2006 Ford GT, which is a mid-engine car. Uh, uh, and it, it's the mo most beautiful car I've ever Oh, that's a gorgeous car. And it's also a car that can kill you. And that's we we've got yeah. a good friend. Tim has yeah. one and it almost killed him in a, it out a in a traffic circle at like five <laughs> miles an hour. Uh, so. Well, <laughs> there's your mention, buddy. <laughs> I'm just saying there's no nanny state bullshit in that car. There's no traction. Now, nothing you, to protect. You gotta be a man to drive. Story it. Asked. Absolutely. If you, if you if you get over your head, you're dead. I love it. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's an awesome <laughs> review. <laughs> oh. Other thing in my pocket, a challenge coin. Ooh. Huh. Yeah, we haven't from seen who? that. From who? Yeah. This is uh, DevGru. Oh. Uh, this was given to me, and I just... Dropped it on the floor. <laughs> that um, is that is something. Dev, I'm not familiar. Has, with so DevGrew, that's that's Naval Special Warfare okay. development, development group. group. So that's yeah. basically the skunk works of the SEALs. Okay. Right? The SEALs at Rod Shop. To develop all the cool shit. So that's Se a big deal. And it's also <clears throat> SEAL Team 6. Uh, now now is SEAL Team 6. Uh, I mean, all the terrorists, hostile. I mean, that's that's the, that's the, the wow. baddest of the fucking bad. The fact that you've got... I will say right now, I'll mark it down, that's the coolest... Pocket dump we've had today. <laughs> I mean, a, de a dev grew a dev grew challenge coin. Tough to beat. Yeah, huh? you can't beat that. Yeah, I'm not familiar, but I yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, very cool. They're very rare. Uh, do you have one? And I've had I in my pocket not. for decades. I do, I do not. No, not many people have those. That's that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's cool. It yeah. brings me luck. I. I but surely if you've yeah. made if you've made the seals happy, I will say we briefly we strive on customer satisfaction every time. I mean, that's the hardest part of the business, probably, is making sure as we grow that we continue to give that that customer the best product that we can put out. Um, however, I can't even begin to imagine the stress or the weight on your shoulders when you're having to please not just the American uh, government, uh, the military, mm -hmm. but you've got you've got people that are fighting for your freedom, my freedom, y'all's freedom to do what we want to do, and you can't let your you can't have your product be the thing that lets them down. That's something that's completely think, different than anybody we've I, talked to. I think to. when you get to the point that the military and the government is reaching out to you because of your product, yeah, you don't have to worry about it. No, because it. Honestly, you should. You know it's bad. That, that should be really that, well. that should be your magazine ads. 
Yeah, the seals trust us. Yeah. Fucking call us. Yeah. Here's our number. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I, well, I can't. I can't. Do I know. That I know you can't. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm already nervous about showing you the coin. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I, I, just, I understand. Gail, it's been absolutely oh, a pleasure. Very cool. I appreciate it. Let us know if you if you ever need anything. Uh, Jeremy's going to reach out here in the near future. I'm absolutely. sure to figure out a crate motor package for the for the new truck we've got coming out for sure. Um, and we look forward to seeing Lockjaw uh, firing up. Cannot wait to see it. Well, thank you so much. Hey, seriously. Yep. Great episode with Gail. Yeah, Gail's a cool guy. The amount of knowledge that he's got. I hope to be that uh, savvy and uh, memory. Yeah, you're that, already not. Yeah, you have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for the I'm looking for the right words. That uh, looking for that, the right words on memory. Yeah, it's it, 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 have that good of a memory yeah, at that. That's age. That's a neat thing because most people, including myself, I mean, when you think of banks, you immediately think of like diesel turbos. You know, you you don't have any idea the amount of just crazy shit that that dude has been involved with over the years. And, I mean, anybody that listened to the whole episode, they. They're going to pick up on, I mean, the offshore shit, which was amazing. I mean, working with the Navy for for several decades, and I don't know if we can tell this, but still. Uh, and, I mean, off, I mean, the land speed record shit, and then, I mean, Grand oh. National, GNX, Cyclone. Typhoon, Cyclone. Yeah. I mean, Cyclone. Uh, I mean, that's, that's something. And then the diesel shit. I mean, it's pretty crazy. So big thanks again to Gail Banks. Remember to check out all of his stuff at www.official.bankspower.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Banks Power. But before we go in this episode's final segment, we're going to break down some of our new favorite pieces of gear. And it's time for everybody's favorite. We keep getting, we do, we do a poll every single week and ask everybody what their favorite segment is. And, and unanimous, unanimously. This is it. It's the glove box. All right, it's time for the glove box where we tell you about some of our new cool favorite pieces of gear, guns, EDC shit, whiskey, and other stuff we're into. But first, we got to talk about Stillhouse. Because Stillhouse, yeah. Stillhouse sponsors the glove box. Stillhouse, glove box is brought to you by Stillhouse. And tonight's the night. Phil, this kicks it off, right? Phil brought in a smorgish board. Of things, because Phil's the <laughs> first one to go yeah, for tonight is his, his night. still house crafted cocktail. I feel like I, it doesn't need to go any further than this. This is going to be like a one and done. It's going to be pretty hard to top. I don't That's know. not how competitions work. That's you not, have to present yours. I am okay. a I'm a craft cocktail connoisseur. So That's a tongue twister. Yeah, it is. But you just wait and see. You know you're wearing around a cocktail. <laughs> the uh, still house has six <laughs> different spirits. That's enough out of you. <laughs> you realize this, this, this is like three, four feet for me to come across and whoop your ass. What did I say? <laughs> Don't act like, oh. <laughs> Let the listeners decide. Yeah, you yeah. know your way around a cocktail. Yeah. Craft cocktail. Why would you take offense to that? <laughs> I'm giving you. I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I, I really don't know why I would. Stillhouse has actually six different spirits in their portfolio. Original whiskey, black bourbon, apple crisp, 
Classic Vodka, Peach Tea Whiskey, and Spice Cherry Whiskey. Drink Stillhouse Whiskey, the unbreakable spirit. Find Stillhouse Whiskey at a store near you by going to stillhouse.com and using their store locator. That's S-T-I-L-L-H-O-U-S-E.com. Tonight, Phil's bringing it with the Spice Cherry Whiskey. The Spice Cherry. So before we get into the glove box, brought to you by Stillhouse, tonight is the night where Phil thinks he's ready to enter his cocktail. Yeah. Into the competition. We, we've discussed this already that we believe that the Stillhouse Black Bourbon is a killer. Drink it neat, drink yeah. it on the rocks. That's a bourbon that you just want to, you don't want to dilute it, mix they, it. They sent us like much four bottles, I think, and I think we're down to, uh, or it's four cans, sorry, four cans. And I think we're down to two cans, maybe one. Yeah. But when you get into these, like the spice cherry, the apple, the peach, those are things that are. But at this time, awesome cocktail. At, at this time, it's time to hand it over to Phil Gerber. That's Phil's. It's Spice Cherry Whisker Phil Whiskey. Whisker. Spice Cherry Whiskey <laughs> Phil Gerber Special. What's your cocktail? Tell us how we make it. So I haven't tried this one yet, but I'm assuming it's going to be delicious. because You didn't it. practice before? I didn't try it with the cherry. I've done regular bourbon, and it's my go-to. Phenomenal summer drink. Um, I think you're coming in the last place. I highly I'm allergic that. to it. I'm like, <laughs> fucking sneezing up a storm over here. <laughs> Must be allergic to winning. <laughs> All right. So this is a. It's fucking lemonade. This yeah. is a lemonade. Hmm. Simply. Yeah, Simply I think lemonade. The listeners it's know key. Lemonade is. Simply lemonade is key or a good uh, not from concentrate lemonade. I just like the pulp that floats around in there. Made with pure lemons. So yeah. lemonade. You gotta get good lemonade, otherwise it tastes too sweet. Yeah. Then we go a little bit of agave sweetener. Organic agave in the raw, organic agave nectar. Could be a strip club announcer. I just just read it. (laughs) Next up on the stage is agave. And a little bit of ice. (laughs) Phil reaching into the still house, cooling for some ice. All right, then a little bit of rosemary to finish her off. Rosemary on the stage next. <laughs> Rosemary. Bring her in. Come on down to the stage. Rosemary. What do you got for ice? Phil's bringing ice from a bag. <laughs> bag ice. <laughs> in a Ziploc bag, there's ice. Long ass cables. <laughs> I didn't have a martini shaker, so we went with a... Uh... Oh, that, <laughs> no, absolutely yeah. not. Boo. I'm putting the foot down yeah. right now because I know I know how little that's been washed. Hey, it was just washed the other day. <laughs> I'll tell you what: if There's... my cocktail's not as good, my presentation's going to be significant. I threw this shit together last oh. minute, and we are missing a lot of key okay. items. What so items we are we missing? Cocktail shaker. Okay, but so all the ingredients for, are here. I I went out and got all, all the right, ingredients put it together. Let's bring this thing together. together. All right, so here's my go-to. Give me a glass. I, well, you got to mix this thing first, no, right? We don't. We're just going to wing it. Oh. You know how I know Phil's is there, losing. Hey, is there a ratio yep. on this? 100%. Because people want to know ounces. You know, like a good Manhattan, you can you can make or oh, break that. Half ounce here or there. Let me tell you but something. You put one just, dash of bitters too much, you know what you get? Shit. Yeah. Yeah. When you go to like TGI Fridays and you see the guy coming in with the bitters and he's just, you know. If he's carrying a conversation on with you while he's fucking dashing. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize we had a bunch of cocktail snobs here. Yeah, I thought we were just drinking do. whiskey like men. <laughs> Apparently not. All right. 
A little bit of agave. Oh, you're putting it first, huh? Right yep. in the glass. Putting it first in the glass. Okay. I didn't know I needed critiques. That may have a, hey. bit, a little oh, bit. Oh, you, well, you didn't know, but you're going to get them. Look at that. Yeah, a little bit more. Just drizzle it down okay. in there. <laughs> still, uh, still gonna house go is never going <laughs> to revoke the sponsorship. This whole episode might need to be redone. No, I think you're bringing it. You think so? Yeah, last place, right. but you're bringing it. <laughs> then we go with uh, some spiced cherry whiskey. You're not. Even, we got shot glasses in there. You could measure it. No, this. Yeah, eye it all up. That's where it's at. Hey. I was worried about getting second place. Not anymore. You're going with like the classic rum and coke count, huh? It's like the one, two, three, four. With dad's approach, yeah. count to 12 and then a little coke for color. <laughs> That's back when you're in the uh, the Florida days and vacation. Fresh Ooh. lemonade. Okay, Fresh. Mm. Simply lemonade. Throw that down. Is that chilled? It is. Nicely chilled. Oh, Wow. A lot of lemonade. So this is a cocktail so for the it's ladies. A, it's then. a lemonade. Yeah, so this is for the girls. Oh, sweet. I've had yeah. lemonade before. Have you ever had lemonade? I, yeah, I, I had my kids do a lot of lemonade stands. And uh, <laughs> this would be great, like a great addition. <laughs> you know, you guys get none, okay? <laughs> Do a little ice. That's frozen, frozen water for you. <laughs> Amateurs at home. Uh, if you don't have ice, freeze some water. Just chuck it. <laughs> you get you get Phil's hands just fondling oh, your fucking yeah. ice. This is yours right here. <laughs> <laughs> just not ready to let that ice go. Do you feel that the cold ice is better than hot ice in this application? I think cold ice is generally the best. You guys are ruining this. No. I was giving you a segue for yeah. hot ice. Then the key, a little sprig of rosemary for a little flavor. You just jam it in there or do you stir, stir it around a little? Well, get your knife out because we have short glasses. Look, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to teach you something here. Haven't you ever been to any like nice cocktail bar? I have, but I don't pay Look, attention. Here's how you, you got to, you do one of these. Open it up. Yeah. And you open Let that it up. sucker breathe. And any cocktail bar you go to. I'm telling you something. You smell it? You fucking smell oh, it? It's really breathing well. This is no, yours. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. No, no. We don't have anything great to stir, so we're breaking out. Oh, is that the ladle? Do you have like a, like a, any small like Christmas ornaments or anything we could drop in there? You guys ready? No, that was the one I found. Oh, that was yours? Oh, this is that yours. one's mine? How do you know that's mine? Yeah, so I get the full Christmas He finger, yeah. he finger fucked the shit out of that one. Let me see that. No. Let me see that. You can see it from here. No. See with your eyes. No, because I know that this one's mine. <laughs> I think this. That's not yours. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> You're children. Both All right. You. For those who don't know, if you ever like that. That's, this is the perfect that, way to hand somebody a drink. That's a great way to hand your buddy a cocktail. Yeah. Grab that sucker <laughs> and just finger right Twice in. an index finger in it. And yeah. I'm, I'm going so, in. I'm going in hard. All right. Stillhouse, cherry, a little, little bit of agave, 
rosemary and a sprig of rosemary. Yeah. <sighs> Ruined. Let's see what we got table. here. That's a drinker. That's good. That's quite nice. Yeah. You can drink that. <laughs> you can absolutely drink that. <laughs> hey. That's actually I cool. can't believe the amount but, of fucking cherry that comes through know, without how much yeah. lemonade you put in it. I wanted you, to put more. Straight serious business. You fucking practiced before this. I did not. There's no way you just came in here and just yanked that. 100% just winged it. Oh, so Josh is going to kick it up yeah. a little bit. Going a little higher. Yeah. <laughs> kick up a little oh, I wanted so Friday. bad for this to suck just so I could <laughs> slam him. But it's a pretty it's good cocktail. Delicious cocktail. Hey. Cheers, fellas. Mm. That's a good summer cocktail. We're coming up on summer sh- car show season. And that's not a lot of ingredients. No, simply lemonade, some rosemary. And you could do without the rosemary Agave. if you're on the road. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but adds a nice little but flavor. But seriously, to it. Would, would you be a gentleman if you did? Nah. You'd be a dandy if you do, though. Yeah. How are we going to. All right. The only way to know who wins for sure is we've got to rate this right now. No, you can't rate it. I don't think it's a rating. Are we going to remember? Nope. It's a very, This is not a spirit-forward cocktail. No, it's a... If you add more spirits, it definitely yeah, can be. You know how it can be a spirit-forward? By adding more spirits. Yeah. I'll do a little bit. A little bit more. Mm. It's a hot rod shop version of a cocktail. Dude, that's right good. You give, you give yourself a little floater, a floater on the top. That spice cherry whiskey floater on top nice. of that cocktail. This isn't yeah. just for recording purposes. That's that's damn good. It's good. But what pisses me off, that's why you ran and did it. Because I know what you're doing. Because hmm. the peach tea whiskey, I've been working for two weeks. Have you? With very similar ingredients. Ingredients. Because this is my ingredients. I've been making this cocktail for yeah, a couple of years now. I understand that. So you can't just come in and try a different flavor. I didn't even know this yours. was happening tonight. This caught me off guard. Yeah, it feels very sneaky. Very, very sneaky. We talked about it. We got to do it. We had like three episodes of, oh, we got to do this. I mean, yeah, my cell phone never went off. I'm like, hey, we're doing it tonight. That's fine. Phil brought the heat. What are you calling this cocktail? Don't have a name. Throw the PGS on it. It's a reserve name. You think so? Just for the ice cream? Yeah. Right. So it's got spice cherry whiskey from Stillhouse. It's got some rosemary. It's got some agave. It's got some lemonade. I'm going to call that something yep. when I come up with it. <laughs> I'm going to come up with a good name for it. Right. And when you do. Yeah. So very key. Can't go overboard on the agave because it gets real sweet real quick. Yeah. You can always add more. That's, I'll tell you what, though, that's a good mixer because starting with Phil's like two to seven count, and then like it was topping good, it, it was good from the start, yeah, and then yeah. topping it off. I can't still get really, a floater on top. It was yeah, a it, good addition. I'm it's very surprised cocktail. at the, the amount of cherry that you get with the lemonade and how good it is. Yeah. No, no bullshit. That's, a, that's really fucking good. Yeah. I mean, what's your alternative? Do you like, think we can get the wives to come pick us up tonight? Probably. Or just Uber home. Yeah, it's probably Uber. just Uber home. Yeah. What's That's up? explaining to you. <laughs> uh, well, that's where we are for the Stillhouse America's Finest Oil and Whiskey 
cocktail competition. Phil Gerber, first entry. I'll, it's a solid I'll, entry. I'll say hey, he, that's he, it. That is, he brought it. I will say as much as I like to, you know, talk a little shit and bust some balls, that's a good cocktail, mm. and that's going to be hard to beat. I'm not, not going to say it's but not hard. impossible. Neither one of you will. It's not like <laughs> a proper cocktail. It's more of a by the pool, on the boat, hanging out in the summer. That's good drinker. Right. That's good shit. Yeah. That's really good shit. Uh, but the whole reason we're doing this is because Stillhouse is bringing you in the glove box. Everybody's favorite segment for oil and whiskey. First up, who's going to go first and dump their pockets? What do we got? Who's That's going? You. I'm it's dumping you. them? All right. Jeremy, Here's what we got, man. You're up. So, after the Blade HQ... That changed things up a little bit, didn't it? Yeah. After we got hooked up with Blade HQ, I mean, we've been Blade HQ fans, been all over their website. I've got 17 knives in my pockets yeah. right now. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I wish that my wife uh, had, like, a tighter grip on me because I, I kind of just go buck wild on there. Hey, for everybody listening, Father's Day is coming up real, real soon. Yeah. Hop on over to Blade HQ. They've got an absolutely amazing website that breaks everything down. You can do it by popularity. You can do it by price. You can do it by brand. You can do it by style. That's what I, I like the most about it is by getting on there and doing it by style because I'm a flipper guy. If, I'll be honest with you. I love the OTS. You do. But a flipper, man, it just gets me. And hey, that's what I'm packing. It's 2022, tonight. and I'm going to go ahead and say it. If you can't buy your father a Father's Day present from Blade HQ, he's not a father. He's a mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guarantee you, you'll find something that your oh, father yeah, will love. Hundred percent. So what I'm packing tonight, and and I am absolutely in love with this thing. The action on this, it's unreal. It's a CRKT. It's they call it their CEO, and a flipper, a skinny little blade, but man, just a the action is so badass. Can I touch it? You can touch it. And I think it's uh, what do you, what would you call that? Like phenolic? Is that what? Well, this is this is a big big thing as of late. This is the natural G10. Okay. This is the G10. That's how it in, comes before it's all dyed yeah, and everything. This is a natural G10 before any type of dyes or anything. And there is, I mean, every knife manufacturer out there everywhere is doing that Dude, here. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna, gonna tell you right now. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Go ahead. Snap it. So everybody can listen to that. That is a action. Oh, it's great. That's some knife. That's, Dude, that's I, it's like the thickness of a pen. It is. They call it the CEO, and I think yep. there, there's a reason for it. I mean, that's a classy. So the CEO slash knife. executive knives. I'd say uh, all have that slender. Yeah, tuck that sucker into your dress pants. You know, for me, you know. Oh, you I can don't, tuck it anywhere. Right. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I haven't messed with the blade much. I've been carrying it a little bit, but uh, probably. One of my favorite knives. I mean, I've got a pretty extensive knife collection. But it's affordable, too. I've got some very high-end stuff. And this is, I think, like a $40, $50 knife. And I would put this up there in my, like, the top five. That's a top five. That's a cool little knife. One of the coolest knives that I own. Absolutely love it. I can screw at this thing all day long. Just dig it. That's a size, weight, looks, but the action the action's where it's at. That's a that's a damn good knife. Yeah. And seriously, anybody listening, I mean, seriously, 50 bucks, I mean, 45 bucks, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, buy two. Yeah, get those. Your son and your and your husband would love them. Other than that, what the usual got? stuff, Same man. Thing. Yeah, we're right. We haven't found a wallet shit no. yet. Nobody's, yeah. 
rocking the money clip. Got the loose, loose single. Oh yeah, that's cool. In there, super cool. He was dancing this weekend. Yeah, Rosemary dancing. up on Dude, the stage. How about the money clip though? Like we haven't seen. Now that we're on video, like look at that sucker. Take a look at that. Tell me that's not probably one of the most badass things you've ever seen. So that's Damascus with like that's a gold Damascus. Yeah, gold Damascus with a wood inlay. I don't know if the camera can pick that yeah. up. No, it can't. No. We've got. We're it's doing all a, singles. We're doing a revamp. I mean, it's obviously we're we're lamps, so yeah. new, but we're doing a revamp. And I think we're going to do like a like a camera yeah, down come here. Come down on that. Yeah, that's cool. Super sweet. I was going to take And we haven't, and this is the, uh, God, I'm trying to think, is that mm -hmm. the WH brand? And I, I feel like I'm going to massacre this. No, just don't worry about it then. Because I think it's William Henry. Is that right? Can no, we Google that? No Could way be? to tell. Huh? You got your phone out? William Henry dash high end gentleman's folders is what it says on the website. Yep. So if you're a high end gentleman and you need a folder, yeah. Yeah. You go to William Henry. And, and then here we go. They probably got them at Blade HQ. Probably do, but here, outside of that, now that we're on video, the dad wallet. That's a that's a yeah. cute. That's cute. I it's remember when I got my first wallet. It's building <laughs> over the past few weeks. I've created this. Like, do you get the? You're just trying to shove shit in it. No, and you get, get thicker. Like, right that's in the middle. Exactly here. what you're trying to do. No, you get this. Like here, Marco, who's you Joseph. know. No, Marco's a solid dude. He's starting on uh, Tuesday because of the holiday weekend. Right. Great Oops. body guy. Going to be starting here. Scribbled that down on a business card. No reason you should and have And right there in wallet. the middle, right there in the middle, you just tuck those in there and you... Yeah, that's, that is a clear case of trying to stuff the wallet. Oh, you're, no, it's not because these... Look, look at this. Look at Phil, this. I need a ruling. Look at this. Hey, I need a ruling. Oh, you want a ruling? Here, a look, at this. look at this angel face. <laughs> Tell me that's not the most beautiful little You're, girl you you've ever a, seen. You went and around this, your home trying to find pictures. Dude, and things. look at that. That's been in there. That's been in there for over a year. We need to talk about this because we might need to put a disclaimer on the podcast. Is he listening? He listens to it. My son. He's 11 years that's, old. That's not good. You're it's a bad good, person. No, it's good. No, I'm a good person. I'm a great person. That's like the most bad good people. <laughs> we have this thing that... Uh, you know, every night I carve out like enough time, no matter what's happening, I carve out enough time. We lay in bed and we talk before, you know, just to recap on the day. So he tells me, he's got this little skater buddy, uh, Richie. And he tells me that, uh, he says, hey, you know, dad, I was telling uh, Richie like that he, he should listen to the podcast. So Richie's been listening to the podcast. And I'm like, dude, I, you know, you don't really need to listen like to the podcast. He's like, no. No, I told him it's really cool. Like, if you want to listen to something that's got swear words in it, and they, and they, and they talk about pocket knives, like, it's an awesome podcast. Like, oh, Jesus. Hey, I can't, I can't argue with him there. If you want no, to listen I mean, to swear he just, words, he described it. This is a couple. He of described them. it pretty good. Kid, he likes cars, Does swear Seagal words, know where he's and at? pocket knives. What's that? The Seagal know where he's at? As far as Richie. Oh, Richie. I'm looking for Richie. <laughs> So, yeah. Oh. So, next up on the pocket dump, are you ready, Phil? I guess that's me. I'm going to start with an iPhone because I enjoy full size videos and text messages that don't get ruined by fuckers with Androids like you. 
Yeah, Josh sucks. That's Josh I told you. Josh I, ruins every he ruins every group text. Group text with his Android. No, and you, even people on YouTube are talking about it. Yeah. First of all, if first of all you suck, there is multiple studies out. Second there Second of all, your Android that shows blows. that shows the level of intelligence and creativity wow. is directly tied to whether they use an Android or an iPhone. You are higher of intelligence and higher creativity if you use an Android than You're you an are. You're an idiot for looking up that. I'm serious. It's it's a it's a That's well a known fact. You know That's who uses an Android? Elon Musk. You know who uses an Android? Donald Trump. You know who uses an Android? Johnny Cash. Uh, I don't know about that last one. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's fact. <laughs> Waylon Jennings used an Android. <laughs> Real quick, this is 2022. I just want to. Oh, yeah. well, anyway, if it's 2022, you, so, we don't really know. It's just phones. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, why don't you? Uh, so I got an iPhone. Um, <laughs> Phil, go ahead. Uh, super thin. Still currently a uh, Amazon wallet. What? So that's Maddie's wallet, huh? You have your daughter's wallet with you? I'm going to stab you with Look the knife that. and I pull out That's neck. cute. He slid his ID right there in his daughter's wallet. <laughs> How cute is that? <laughs> is that? What do you do with all your things? I've realized that most of the stuff I carried in my old dad wallet, I had never used or never taken out. So I just kind of threw it all out, and my spine is thanking me. What do you do in case of an emergency? Where are your emergency? Where are your last four years of good guys member cards? I threw them all out, along with seven hotel (laughs) keys that I haven't been to in a year and a half. Um, The hotel keys I'd get rid of for sure, because I wouldn't want any type of tie into the destruction (laughs) that you left on Sunday (laughs) afternoon. I would definitely get rid of those. Purge those immediately. All right. Other thing. I've got this little guy right here. That's a, what is that? It's a Kershaw Launch 4. Super small little automatic knife. All murdered out. I'm very upset you picked that and I didn't get to it yet. Also from Blade HQ, but yeah. Blade cool. HQ has changed the glove box immensely. Yeah. Dude, they've changed, honestly, they've changed my outlook on the Kershaw brand too. Yeah, because that's what I was going to say. Kershaw, when they came out with the chive, the onion, like the Ken onion and the chive, the little one, like that was awesome, right? And then it got, it got a little like. A little mainstream. Yeah, it got a yeah, little mainstream. Yeah. It got a little stale, but the. That seeing that new Kershaw, like those new offerings, holy shit! Yeah. Right, they all the like stuff, cool little stuff. Oh, that's yeah. a conversation piece right they're, there. They're honestly that's, that's, like, dude, you could put those up there at the top of any brand. That let me see the thing. This Kershaw stuff is rad. Yeah, I mean that little fucker. It's almost a dagger. Blade. Yeah, I stabbed my tip my finger. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> you're, you're bleeding right yeah. now, dude. Just killer action. <laughs> let me see that. Yeah, yeah. Little American flag on the backside is pretty cool. Because America. Yep. Oh. Almost got me. That's a great. You could tuck that thing anywhere. You yeah, know, or you could put it in your pocket. Well, I'm saying, you know, everybody <laughs> knows when they go to the city and you go to those places, you're not supposed to carry a knife yeah. and you like kind of take yeah, you that sock in your boot. Yeah, yeah, you put that in the sock. That's a perfect. I'll tell you, the, dude, the, the CRKT and, the and you know, those new Kershaw blades. That's those are game what changing. Is, Which one that? is this? Um, it's called the Launch Four. Kershaw Launch Four, yep. all black. That thing's got 
That's got some, got some yank too. to it, as they say. Hold on. I opened it. So Yeah, so I'd say quit like going your snap on guy and getting the Ken Onion snap on edition. Go to Blade HQ. Go to Blade HQ and look at what and Kershaw go ahead and waste about three has. hours on Blade HQ. Oh, look at what yeah, Kershaw has. Dangerous. Yeah. You get on that, you better block off a chunk of time. Like the evening. Yeah. So what are you rocking, Josh? A real man's wallet. Hmm. Who'd you borrow that from? <laughs> that would be my wallet made of genuine leather. All the things you need. First up, got a brand new. Oh, man. Titanium Dude. bolt action permanent marker. This is something for the fabricator. Yep. yep. That's a. Uh, first of all. It's got a tactical action to it. You done? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Full titanium. I've, I've been carrying this for a couple of days. I really, really like this. You never know when you're going to need a permanent marker. This is a very... You, pretty much everybody carries a Sharpie. It's a much more badass version of... Yep. I was pretty blown away machine work-wise on it. Yeah, finding the parting yeah, lines. trying to find the parting lines. Yeah. Me and oh. Josh were staring at it, and then you just started, like, twisting things. Like, ooh, there it is. Yeah, very, very nicely made. Yeah. For a guy like Josh, who never gets his hands dirty, probably not that important. A, like, a ballpoint pen might be better suited. But for the fabricators out there... Yeah. Tell ooh. you what, you're going to see some busted knuckles. My, my hands might not be dirty, but my knuckles are fixing to be busted. <laughs> for the fabricators out there that, uh, you know, can't live without having a Sharpie in their pocket. That was a that was actually a gift from a very good customer. It was. This is something that would really class it up. You're gonna you're gonna impress the guys around you if you deliver. You know, you ain't just sucker out on the on the job site. Thank you, uh John Blumenthal. But it gets better. You there ready? we go. But wait, there's more. What have we got? When we first got the first shipment from Blade HQ, you all know that I'm one well, we're all a sucker for Microtech. I mean, we're absolutely unanimously fans of Microtech in every way. However, I'm the biggest fan of OD Green. You're the only mm. fan of OD Green. With the Tonto Blade. So I like a Tonto Blade. Yep. And you know that. Yep. So mm. go ahead and go ahead and feast your eyes on that. <laughs> go ahead. You can't yeah. touch it, but you can look at it. Hundred bucks, you can't kill that mosquito that's flying around. That thing has been driving me nuts yeah. all night. It's I've been, been in, grabbing it's been at in it. here for six weeks. I thought <laughs> people watching this podcast are going to think there's something wrong with me. If you watch it on YouTube, because there's a mosquito or something in here, I keep. Oh, that's what they're going to think is wrong with you. Uh, so, <laughs> this is the new UltraTech Two T and E. This has got the new machining pattern on the handle. It's in OD Green with the. Stonewashed Tonto blade, and I mean, it, it's a it, badass it knife. It was in a not, different color. It yeah. does not get. Can I touch it? Sexier than that. Yeah, that's a gorgeous knife. It's a great knife. Mm. Yeah, they do some kick-ass machine work on everything. Yeah, a badass detail everywhere. Yeah, yeah. that's a phenomenal. Microtech phenomenal and knife. Anthony Marfione. I mean, everything that they put their hands on. I would. I would like to say that. They do knives the way we do chassis and cars. Great hand feel. And that. All right, stop touching it. So no, much. I, I don't want to. You're going to wear it, it out. I don't want to get it. You're going to wear it out. <laughs> I'm not going to wear it out. Did you hear that? Great knife. Uh, 
again, can't say enough about Blade HQ. Thank you. All right, seriously. You're, you're going to make it fucking sloppy. <laughs> That's what green looks like. It's weird. <laughs> do they do it in blue? <laughs> they probably do. Oh. Dude, that Tonto blade, that's that's yeah. got to be the best Microtech blade style. Yeah. There is. A fan. You know what that says? You mean business. That's no, I've got a DevGrew Naval Special Operations challenge coin in my pocket. It's a close I mean second. business. But this is, this is as close as I'll come. Yeah, this is don't this is a don't fuck with me because yeah. I don't have one of those coins in my pocket. Gail Banks isn't around, but I am, so don't fuck with me. <laughs> all right. Next up, what are we drinking? Well, first of all, what we're drinking right now is a really good Phil Gerber cocktail. But what we are drinking through the episode. Tonight's bourbon is a Middle West Spirits straight weeded bourbon whiskey. And this is yet another pull from our epic little journey down to Louisville, Kentucky, when we did the bourbon trail. I don't remember you getting that one down yeah. there. So that came from, I sampled that at that Justin's House of Bourbon. And interestingly enough, it's not a Kentucky straight bourbon. It is distilled in Columbus, Ohio. But like always, I think we bring this up time and time again. I'm always attracted to any of the weeded bourbon whiskeys. Weeded. So I like the weeded. I like the wheat. And I don't think that this one, uh, I mean, it, it, it doesn't leave you empty-handed. This is a, another solid pull. Easy drinker, light-proof. I think this is... Uh, I'm giving it a 6.3. I'm yeah, giving it a 6.3. Early. It's, I think it's a low, well, low rating. What's, nope. the, what's the proof on this guy? If I had to guess, that would be a 96. I had no, to guess. 90, you already looked 90. at it. And no, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, I can't find a proof on it. Oh, yeah, 95 proof. So not terribly Never light, looked. Swear. Oh, swear. <clears throat> I think it's good. I think it's kind of like a rookie bourbon, I'd say. Very, like, flavorful, easy to drink, no burn, no real, nothing to write home about. It's just good. It's, it's fine. Not, it's not going to have a bad taste. Yeah. That's for sure. It's not going to have a burn. Good, right. easy drinker. If, a lot of flavor, a little cinnamon cherry. I'm going to put that one like, you know, when you're at the hotel bar. <laughs> if you're at the hotel bar and that's up there, get it. Oh, absolutely get it. But that's not going to be at a hotel bar. It's, uh, if there's Maker's Mark or Middle West Spirits, grab the Middle West Spirits. What's your number? But beyond that. You're playing around. What's the number? <laughs> yeah, I am. I am dicking around here. Six zero. Damn. Phil Gerber, what's your number? I liked it. I thought it had good flavor, smooth drinker. I liked um, it too. I go six and a half. I'm gonna tell you though, but with my six, so it's not because I don't like it. I just think it's like it didn't. It didn't some, kick you in the nuts. Yeah. Like holy yeah. shit! Wow. Yeah. I'll drink it all night long. That's why like, I gave it a six three. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the taste. It wasn't one of those that you were having to like convince yourself past an, uh, a weird taste or anything like that. Uh, it was just good. Right. I, mean, I could drink that and uh, get seriously. I'm going to put it in the, because of the price point, it's like in the $40 range. I'm going to put it in the buy it range. So I'm not, I'm not discrediting. Oh, it's, it definitely, the point. A yeah, it's, it's definitely a buy it. It's absolutely, it's absolutely a buy it because I've drank 80, 90, hundred dollar bottles that are nowhere near as good as that. So it's, it's, right. it's something definitely worth buying, but I'm, I'm putting it in the in rookie bourbon category. 
It's just simple. Hey, Middle West straight weeded bourbon. We got a 6.5 out of Phil. We got a 6.0 out of Jeremy. We got a 6.3 out of me. Thanks for listening to Oil & Whiskey with the Roadster Shop and Ironclad Original. If you like the show, be sure to leave us a rating and review. Now that we've got YouTube, you can leave a review in YouTube. You can, you can leave a review in Spotify. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcast, download it, rate it, review it. Do something besides just listen to it, unless you don't like it. If you don't like it, don't just, review uh, it. Just kind of move. Stop. Just move right past yeah, it. Yeah, stop listening to it and yeah. listen to something better. Thanks again to our guest, Gail Banks, and we'll see you again next week. Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane, host of the Mental Performance Daily Podcast here with you. And someone asked me recently, Kaner, how'd you go from 240 pounds to 180? Was it diet? Was it sleep? Did you change your workout routine? It was a little bit of all of that and mostly habits and consistency. That's why I love FitBod. FitBod's smart workout app creates a custom dynamic exercise program based on your goals, experience, and equipment. It varies your routines to avoid overtraining and keeps you on schedule so you can keep that calendar full and maintain those summer gains. Their elite algorithm uses custom data and analytics to scientifically build your best next workout and maximize your results in the least amount of time. FitBod workouts fit easily into your schedule, making your time the best time to work out. FitBod works equally as awesome on your iOS or Android device. The app is super easy to use with video tutorials to make learning new exercises a breeze. Let's keep that workout momentum going through getting personalized workouts from FitBod that get tougher as you do. Get 25% off your subscription or try out the app for free when you sign up now at fitbod.me mpd25. That's 25% off your subscription or try it free at fitbod.me mpd25